Hello, and welcome to Simple Pursuit, the teaching ministry of Coastal Oaks Church in Rockport, Texas. It is our prayer that you will grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, and that you will be blessed and challenged as you listen in. Grab your Bible, because here is today's teaching. Take your Bible and open to the Gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 6, as you turn to Mark chapter 6, there is uh, an interesting chapter here before us as it contains a couple of different types of feasts. One is offered by Herod, Antipas. The other is offered by Jesus. The first feast was prepared by gourmet chefs of the day. The second feast uh, was prepared by Jesus. The first had guests of nobility, had the elite of Galilee gathered around. The second hosted the common folk, the people of the land. The first feast had entertainment provided by dancers and a host of others gathered around. The second had only the teaching and exposition of Jesus as he taught the scriptures, the Son of God. The climax of the first feast was the beheading of the prophet known as John the Baptist. The second was a display of compassion by the Son of God. Christ Jesus upon the crowd as he saw them as sheep without a shepherd. Let's pick it up in verse 30. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. Prior to this, just the paragraph before, Jesus had sent out the disciples slash apostles to go and teach Preach, proclaim repentance for the kingdom of God is at hand. They came back and have reported to Jesus all that they had done and all that they had taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them. And they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii, 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. And so they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. 
And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and they were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces of the end of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. Let's pray together. Father, thank, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for the gospel of Mark, for his faithfulness to listen and then to write. Father, I pray that what we've read this morning and what we've worked through as we've gathered here would find eyes to see and ears to hear. Father, that we would trust Jesus as our good shepherd as he makes us sit down in the green grass. Father, that we would come to a deeper level of trust in Jesus. And now, Lord, as I often pray, what we do not know, teach us. And what we are not yet, make us for your glory and our good. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, Jesus is the good shepherd who feeds the sheep. As the disciples return from their journey, they start breaking down the time of debriefing with Jesus, all that they were able to do and all that they had taught. And then Jesus very strategically tries to take them away to a quiet place for rest. They were so busy in that journey, they didn't even have time to eat. This is how you know the disciples probably weren't Baptists. Because we get together, we're going to eat. You know what I'm saying? But the people saw where they were going in the boats, and so they go ahead, and people are coming. They have heard now the message. The disciples had been out teaching. They had been out ministering. They are, they've started to know and hear things about this Jesus guy, and so they want to get to him because he is there. They are all Around And so they rush to meet him. But verse 34 is what really sticks out. Verse 34. Look at that again. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd. We know at the end of the passage that we ran, at least the men numbered 5,000. If you throw in women and children, which certainly would have been there, the number is much higher. And he sees them. He doesn't just see a large crowd of people. Like, oh boy, we're going to have to keep going and maybe go to the other side of the lake to find that, that quiet place. We're going to have to get out of here so we can go find that rest. No, he looks on them and Mark says he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Friends, the divine power of Jesus is displayed in his compassion. That is a really fun word in Greek. I'm going to teach it to you if I can get it right. Splachnitzomai. Say that five times fast and you might get punched if you don't pronounce it right. Splachnitzomai. It is the heart or the seat of our emotions. It is to show compassion. 
It carries with it the idea of being moved in the inner parts of the body. In Jesus' day, it was, sorry to be gross, the bowels, deep inside. Butterflies, yeah, we know we, we say, oh, I got butterflies in my stomach. This is much deeper than that. The Western mind considers that part of our body, of our being, the heart. But it's only used in the Gospels in reference to Jesus when he sees people in need. It's not the only time we hear of Jesus seeing a crowd. There's a time where he's looking out over Jerusalem. And he looks down and he has compassion on them. He is moved deep inside. Because, again, it's the same phrase. These people are like sheep without a shepherd. Even though they were doing all the right things, well, most of them maybe were doing some of the right things. The Pharisees were certainly living the dream when it comes to religious leaders, right? They had the law. They were trying to teach the law, made the law much harder to follow for the common man. But they were like sheep without a shepherd. This word is actually used a couple of other times in two other parables. One is the, the parable of the Good Samaritan. It's not the two religious leaders that pass by on the other side of the road away from the man who's injured, but it's the Samaritan traveling through a land, a country that's dangerous for him, helping this man who was hurt, a Jew. He sees this really enemy of his because the two did not get along. He sees him and he is moved with compassion to help him. The other is when the father sees his son coming home in the story of the prodigal son. The father there is moved with compassion. And so I think those help us understand the weight of what Jesus is feeling here as he looks out on this crowd in the, in the Galilean area. He felt deeply for their need. It wasn't a need for food. When he got there, they weren't hungry yet. It wasn't late in the day. But rather, it was a need to deal with their spiritual lostness. That was their greatest need. They had religious leaders teaching one thing, doing something totally different. Their hearts were far from God. Even though their lips praised God, their hearts were far from him. Nowhere even close. And he's not trying to win them over so that he can raise up his kingdom, for they will surely try in the great crowds to anoint him king at that moment and go take Jerusalem back from the Romans. He escapes in that time because that's not why he came. So he's not trying to win them over in a political sense. He's trying to meet their deepest needs, that deep-seated compassion that brought Jesus to act by giving his life on the cross. Not because they were hungry, but because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Because we remember the prophet Isaiah. He says in Isaiah 53, we all like sheep have gone astray. Jesus sees the people of Israel in his day. He sees these people gathered around on the hillside, along the shoreline. 5,000 men plus. And they're all sheep wandering and stray. And so he's determined to meet their need and he begins to teach them the word of God. And eventually, miraculously, he will feed them. So not only is his divine nature and his divine power shown in his compassion for the people, but that compassion led him to teach. So we see his divine power in his teaching. 
Jesus, the good shepherd, began teaching the word of God. We don't exactly know by Mark's account what he taught. Could have been something along the lines of like the Sermon on the Mount, maybe some Beatitudes, some truth, maybe going back to some of the prophets to the time of Moses and beginning to work through the scriptures. We don't exactly know. But that is shepherding. Because as sheep, we are prone to wander. We are prone to leave and stray off. And here, the good shepherd has taken the initiative to tend to his sheep. That's what he does. Friends, when we open the word of God today, we can read what he taught. We read the word of God. We have the same teaching. And it's good for our heart. It's good for our mind as the truth of the word. And it is the Holy Spirit who guides us in and through the word. It is good for us today, too. But he's also teaching the disciples an important lesson here as well. They had just returned again from the mission that he had sent them out to preach repentance to all the people. And upon their return, Mark says, they came back talking about all that they had done and all that they had taught. You know, friends, we can accomplish much as a church without the power of God. Look at any society in the world and look how much man can accomplish on his own. He can accomplish a great deal. We could do even good things on our own. We could become the greatest humanitarian nonprofit in Rockport, Texas without the presence of God. But here, Jesus is about to teach them an all-important truth about the church and our nature as followers of Christ. That truth is that following Jesus and serving Jesus is not about what you and I can do in our own self-initiative and in our own power. You and I must have the presence of God with us. More on that in a moment. The third way we see Jesus' divine power come into play in this story is through provision. As Jesus is teaching, the disciples, too, grow concerned for the people, but in a very different way, wasn't it? They didn't see the people as sheep without a shepherd. They saw a bunch of people who were about to get hangry. They, and they are severely outnumbered. And so in verse 35, they say, Jesus, hey, Hello, stop teaching. Time out. You are way past noon, bro. My watch is going off, I know. This is a desolate place. The hour is late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. Three reasons why Jesus needed to shut this down. It's desolate, which means there's no... Uh, Quick stop around the corner. There's no Whataburger or anything like that. The hour's late, so you got to find a 24-hour open place to eat. They need to go buy something to eat because we don't have money to feed them. These folks are going to get hungry. Then what are we going to do, Jesus? You need to send them away. But then Jesus counters with something that they had not considered. You give them something to eat. I mean, just a few verses ago... Right? We had the breakdown in verse 30. They came back and told Jesus all that they had done, all that they had taught. Very well, boys. You give them something to eat. You give them something to eat. Fourth excuse. We can't. 
That's 200 denarii. Friends, that's about 200 days of working, almost a full year of work. The disciples could not do what Jesus commanded them to do. And so then Jesus does what Jesus does. How many, what kind of food do we have? Well, they had to go looking. In John's gospel, this is where we know that Andrew went and had the boy who had five loaves of bread and two fish. Jesus took that. He took that bread and that fish. He looked into heaven, as he often did when he prayed, and he gave thanks to God. He divided it up, and boom, everyone's got plenty to eat with 12 baskets left over. Friends, we can do a lot of things in the church. We can do events. We can do ministries. We can do life groups, D groups, student ministry. We can play basketball in the Family Life Center. We can even do some crazy exotic mission trips to the other side of the world, but nothing of eternal or kingdom significance will ever be accomplished without the presence of Jesus. This is what he's teaching his disciples. This is what he's teaching you. You guys went out. You did some great things. You preached in my name. You, pro, you, you, you proclaimed repentance. That's exactly what I told you. You obeyed. But here, you need my presence. You need, we need his power working through the church by the indwelling Holy Spirit. Following the 5,000 plus being fed, Jesus sent his disciples out across the sea to find that seclusion and rest that they initially started to work toward. Jesus goes up on the hillside to pray by himself as he so often did. And upon his time of prayer concluding, he looks down and he sees the disciples struggling in the wind and the waves. The wind and the waves are against them. Jesus is again going to show his divine power and his presence in a very miraculous way. And again, he shows us the vital importance of his presence with us as the church. You see, because Jesus is always and will always be God with us, even on stormy waters and troubled seas. Look at verse 45. Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida. While he dismissed the crowd, after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully. They were making progress, but it was hard. It was painful, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, I think that's like 3 a.m. to 6 a.m., somewhere in that time frame. About the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and he said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased. And they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. As they've collected all the leftovers, now they're in the boat, as Jesus commanded. He dismisses the crowd. He prays for them, sends them on their way. And these disciples in the boat, struggling against the wind, they are about to encounter the glory of God. They don't know what they're going to see. Jesus knew. The scripture says that he meant to pass by them. Was he not going to help unless they called out to him? I don't think so. In the Old Testament, God often passed by. That's the language in the Old Testament. 
He passed by in order to show or manifest or display his presence or his glory. Like when God appeared to Moses at the burning bush. Maybe another equally famous moment in Moses' life we find in Exodus chapter 33, where Moses boldly requests of God, please show me your glory. And God says, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. Later on down there, as Moses is there in the cleft of the rock put there by God, he says, I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. I think that's what Jesus is getting to here, what we call a, a theophany, a epiphany, kind of appearing, a manifestation of God's glory. We see him often in Scripture. There's some others that we could go to in the Old Testament, but what we find in this moment is about to happen in the middle of the disciples' struggle, in the middle of their distress. Jesus, with the glory of God, is about to burst through in glorious day and manifest God's glory to them on the Sea of Galilee in their struggle. And when the disciples look up and they see him, they immediately think it's a ghost. Why? Um, well, when was the last time you saw someone out walking on Aransas Bay? Anybody? Never. Never. They've not ever seen something like that. So they go to only logically what they could possibly explain it as. It's a ghost. And they all cry out in terror because of what they think they're seeing. But immediately Jesus calls out to them and he says, Take courage. Take heart. It is I. Don't be afraid. Why didn't they get that? Their faith at this point should have been strong. They should have seen his divine authority before. They've seen it. They've seen him heal the sick. They've seen him cast out demons. They've seen him raise the dead, or they, at least they will see them. At, uh, but in Mark's gospel, in Mark's gospel, the way he writes it, the disciples from, from now until Mark chapter 8, they, they seem to be in a, in a downward spiral of sorts, that their faith is, is in question. Are they going to make it or not? Are, are they going to keep on trusting and Jesus is going to warn them multiple times about having eyes that cannot see and ears that cannot hear, that their faith is hanging in the balance. And verse 52 tells us that their hearts were hardened. Why? Because they had not yet grasped that God was at work through Jesus to accomplish his saving purposes. We have that benefit, though. We can look back in Scripture and know this is where Jesus is going. And so we can look back on this moment, but man, if, we really are, if we're real with ourselves, we put ourselves in that boat, we've got the same reaction, not knowing what Jesus is doing, not knowing exactly where God is going, that our hearts would be hardened just like theirs. But look what Jesus said. He, he comes to the heart. He says, take heart. Even though their hearts are hardened, take heart, take courage. It is I. That phrase there, it is I, that is so important. It's the very phrase that God would use to reveal himself to Moses at the burning bush when he said, I am who I am. That's the, the, the Greek translation of that word is what Jesus says right here. And this is Jesus on full display in the glory of God right before them in this moment. When he steps in the boat, here's how we know. When he steps in the boat, the wind died down. And they were in awe of what was happening. They were astounded, yet they had been so impacted by the feeding of the 5,000 
that they didn't get what they were seeing. Why? Again, because their hearts are hardened. Man, we get that way too. We get so wrapped up in our sin. We get so wrapped up and, and maybe forget to confess and spend that time with God daily and getting into his presence that we miss the presence of God, that we miss who Christ Jesus is on that daily basis. We miss the words, take heart, it is I. I am with you. And his presence certainly has a calming effect on his sheep. He speaks to his sheep. His sheep know his voice. This is where we're going this morning. As Jesus displayed twice his divine power, you and I must trust in the presence of Christ. We have to trust in the presence of Christ. We've got to follow Jesus in such a way that we learn from his faithfulness, God's faithfulness, from the past. And we grow in our trust as we keep going into the future. And when we're given another day, we trust in that new mercy every morning. And we pray and spend time with God before we go out and we get into his presence, we get into his word and we spend time with him praying about the day so that we are ready for the day ahead. Friends, today we can and must rest in the presence of Christ and trust in the power and provision of Christ. We can and we must. Let me take you to John's gospel. John chapter six. This is right after, um, in John's gospel, right after the feeding of the 5,000 Jesus has another time of teaching. This very well could be, uh, but this is, this is the day after the 5,000 are fed. This is the next day that we have what John captures here for us. John gives a little more to the story of what happens as the people come back to Jesus the very next day. Here's what it all comes down to. Jesus flat out tells them, you came looking for me because you got your fill yesterday. But it's today. They came looking for more food. They came looking for another sign. But friends, it's so much more than just looking for more food. Here's what Jesus says in verse 27. He says, verse 26, he says, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. And then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. We'll stop right there for just a moment. You catch what's going on? The stuff of the earth, it's not going to last. But what I'm offering you, the bread of life, what I'm offering you leads to eternal life. Well, what works do we need to do? They missed it. What I'm offering you leads to eternal life. What I'm giving you leads to eternal life. 
Because he says there in verse 27, the Son of Man will give to you. Oh, what must we, what kind of works do we need to do? No, you missed it. This is the work of God. It's the work of God. By the presence of God and the power of God, it's the work of God that you believe in him and, and whom he, he has sent. So naturally, what they always do, it's what the woman at the well did. Let's go back and talk history with the one who wrote history. Well, God intervened and provided manna from heaven. What are you going to do about it? The people gave Moses for the credit, gave all the credit to Moses for all the bread. But Jesus says, it wasn't Moses. It was God. God's presence was with Israel. The pillar of fire by night, the pillar of cloud by day, in the tabernacle, in the temple. That's where God's presence was. His promise was to Israel. His power worked for Israel. He blessed Israel because of his presence, but they didn't see that. They would always grumble against God. Verse 30, Jesus said, What's, uh, they said to him, what sign do you do? I mean, weren't you here yesterday? Didn't you not see that sign? Did you not see what, I mean, did you eat it? And now it's gone. Like, what happened? Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness. Moses did all of that for us. Here's the main point. Your people ate in the wilderness not because of Moses, but rather because God's prom promise, power, and presence was with them. God fed you. Now I'm feeding you, but not with earthly bread. That will not, it's not going to satisfy. And then Jesus lowers the boom in verse 35. I am the bread of life. If you come to me, you'll not hunger. That's the deepest need. That's why they're sheep without a shepherd, because they not, have not taken of the bread of life. Listen, friends, we come to God for God. We come to Christ for Christ, not for stuff. We don't seek him in prayer in order to get what we want. I don't spend time with him in the morning so that I can check off my box and hopefully have a good day because he's guaranteeing it since I had my quiet time. When we come together for prayer gathering, when we come, we come for God. When we spend time with him each morning in personal devotion and prayer, we come for him. We come for his presence, not for what we can get out of him. They wanted signs. They wanted miracles. And when Jesus worked right in front of them, they refused to believe. They had eyes, but they couldn't see. They had ears, but they couldn't hear. Yes, it is the will of God that when you look to Jesus, when you turn your eyes upon Jesus and believe in him, you will have eternal life, which means when Jesus comes back, you will be with him. One more time, the people grumble against Jesus. And he says it again. Verse 47, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. What you're seeking after, what you want me to give you, they ate that. He says in verse 49, and what does it say? They died. Everything you want me to give you right now, they took it, they ate it, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. And if anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I give for the life of the world is my flesh. He's going to give his body. He's going to give his life on the cross. Church, we have to remember and realize who we're dealing with here in Mark's gospel and John's gospel, Matthew and Luke, that when you read the gospels, you are being introduced 
to Christ Jesus, the Messiah. That he who is the bread of life, he who eats this bread will receive eternal life, meaning you've got to trust in Christ Jesus. Friends, either we trust in him as the bread of life because he is, or he isn't. What's it gonna be? It all boils down to this. Is Jesus the bread of life, or isn't he? It's a matter of faith in Christ leading into practice. Either Jesus is the bread of life, or he isn't. When we go out into ministry, when we go to serve, when we go to share the gospel, when we gather to sing, when we, we dare not depend on our own spirituality and our own strength. We can only depend on Christ Jesus in the presence of the Spirit of God. The disciples had to learn that lesson here. For them, it wasn't about the fish and loaves. It wasn't about 200 denarii. It was about depending on Jesus. It wasn't about walking on water. It was about trusting in the divine power and the divine presence of Christ Jesus. For the people listening, it wasn't about full bellies and the entertainment factor or the freak show known as the signs and wonders of Jesus. It was that Moses couldn't save them. Abraham couldn't save them. They couldn't save themselves. It was Jesus and only Jesus. In the matters of our prayer gathering, friends, we need to remember that God still does the miraculous. When we have our time of devotion in the morning, he still does the miraculous. His presence is still very much real and he's still very much at work. But what it comes down to in our service and our ministry, as we look into the future of what God will help us to do and provide for us in that family life center, all that God has called us to do, all that God has equipped us to do, every time we sing, serve, or study, we must be ready to acknowledge that before God, the responsibilities that he has entrusted to us. He has entrusted to us certain responsibilities. And when we come to him and we show immediately at those responsibilities that we are inadequate, that we are empty, and that if we will offer ourselves to him with open hands and a longing just to desire his presence and to rest in his presence and his promise and in his provision, if we will come to him with open hands and say, I am nothing without you, I am inadequate and I am empty, I can do nothing apart from you, and we rest in his presence, promise, and provision, then he will place within our grasp that which he has provided all along. And he will allow us the privilege to serve one another, to sing with thanksgiving, and to study his word. What we must do is that we must look to Jesus. We must continue to trust him, honor him, love him. So we keep our eyes turned to Jesus, and he will take care of the rest. Thank you for listening today. For more information regarding Coastal Oaks Church, like service times, or what to expect upon your visit, go to our website at coastaloakschurch.org. May God bless you in the journey and the simple pursuit of knowing Christ Jesus, our Lord.